T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Crime in the city is surging. Police say one mile into the ride to the hospital, 37-year-old Thomas McCauley pulled out a gun and shot a 25-year-old EMT in the shoulder, right in the back of the ambulance. A memorial of pink teddy bears and candles marked the spot where Kiara Tay's young life was cut short yesterday. The single bullet that pierced her stomach fired from a half block away from a man on a scooter. The latest statistics from the NYPD show the most serious crimes have jumped 41% year-to-date. Murders are down 12%, but assaults are up 20%, and robberies have soared 42%. Shootings have declined slightly this year, but have spiked 70% in the past two years. How bad have things gotten? Even Mayor Adams is alarmed. He told Fox 5 this week the shootings are out of control. I have never in my professional career, I have never witnessed crime at this level. And the willingness to carry guns and the willingness to use a gun. We saw what happened to the uh, EMT employee while having someone in the ambulance. They were shot yesterday. 11-year-old child. What's happening in Buffalo? Or what happened in Buffalo? The willingness, the readiness, and the availabilities of guns are unbelievable. This week on the 880 In-Depth Podcast, Crime in New York City. What's causing it, and what do we do about it? Welcome to 880 In-Depth. I'm Michael Wallace. There's an uneasiness, if not fear, permeating the city. Random shootings, unprovoked attacks, unexplained mayhem... But just like stock prices can only go so high before turning lower. It was the biggest one-day point drop in two years on Wall Street. Crime stats can only be driven so low before turning higher. Perhaps some perspective would help. To be clear and to put it in context, we are about where we were in Mayor Bloomberg's times as far as murders and shootings go. Since bottoming out in 2017 with fewer than 300 murders, the numbers have been edging up to almost 500 last year. The 2021 total is about where we were in 2009. If you're worried about a return to the bad old days, consider this. There were more than 2,200 murders in 1990. Since then, there's been a decline of 78%. We'll hear from two seasoned experts who look at crime from distinctly different points of view. For example, what's causing the crime wave? This all started back uh, when bail reform first came into effect in 2020, followed by COVID, followed by George Floyd. Is bail reform driving this church in crime in any way? The evidence is really crystal clear on this, that it's not. And what can we do to turn things around? 
There's one theory that we simply need more cops. 1,200 officers were taking off the NYPD's headcount. Those are officers that were necessary, that were put in place by the city council to get neighborhood policing going. And it was neighborhood policing that was able to get us down to the numbers we were in 2017, 2018. Without those cops, it's hard to accomplish a lot of that mission. But some see other kinds of solutions. Random control trials, the best evidence that there is available in New York City shows that when New York City housing development developments were lighted, dark places were made light, violent crime went down 36%. A little later, we'll hear from former NYPD Chief of Department Terry Monahan. If you get arrested for stealing a car, you get what's called a desk appearance ticket. You're out on the street immediately. We've seen a huge uptick in cars stolen in this city, and we're seeing a huge uptick in these stolen cars being utilized in shootings. But let's start with Liz Glazer. A one-time federal prosecutor, she became Deputy Secretary for Public Safety in New York State for Governor Cuomo. Then she moved over to head Mayor de Blasio's Office of Criminal Justice. She recently co-founded a journal focusing on public safety called Vital City. Glazer sat down with WCBS reporter Peter Haskell. We have seen crime surging in New York. What's going on? What do you think? Look, it's very, very troubling. Um, New York City had one of the lowest crime and incarceration periods between 2017 and 2019. And when the pandemic hit, shootings doubled. And they've essentially stayed there since then. And what was strange during the pandemic, uh, and this was not just New York City, it was across the nation, is that the kind of crime that went up was shootings and then murders, but not other kinds of things. What we've now seen in New York City starting this year is that all kinds of crime is rising. And so it's troubling on many different levels, uh, but particularly because we need uh, gun violence affects everything and we need to address it in order to get everything else to tamp down. Having said that, um, it is a serious problem. We do care about it. We need to focus on it with real urgency. But to be clear and to put it in context, we are about where we were in Mayor Bloomberg's times as far as murders and shootings go. Uh, That's context. It shouldn't uh, make us take the foot off the gas with respect to trying to find some solutions. You point to covid was that a fact, or how was that a factor in, was it people being upset, they're locked up, they're cooped up, there's this pent-up anger, rage, frustration, how much of that played into this? I think quite a bit, and I think you see it uh, when you look across the nation and you see such a common rise, and I think there are really a couple of things. You know, when you think about it in the main, What makes us safe? It's our connections to one another. It's our social structure. It's our informal norms. And all of that got swept away in the pandemic. Uh, Work, play, normal rhythms. And very importantly in New York City and other places, I think, as well, um, the caregivers, uh, particularly in our neighborhoods where violence is concentrated, which uh, are about, you know, a dozen neighborhoods in the city, poor neighborhoods, Uh, uh, older people, the elders of the community uh, 
were uh, died from COVID. And so that also pulled away an incredibly important tentpole of security that knits people together. I think the other thing uh, that cannot be underestimated or understated is how many guns there are, not just in New York, but uh, in the nation. You know, we have 400 million guns in circulation uh, in the United States. And in the first year of the pandemic, according to some experts who estimate these things, another 22 million guns were, uh, were bought. New York was not impervious to that. And when you think about more people carrying guns, it means that the kinds of disputes, which are often just, you stepped on my shoes, you insulted me, um, that could have, might have ended in a fistfight, now are ending by somebody pulling a gun. And that then leads further to retaliatory uh, shootings, which further escalates where we are. Before we talk more about guns, you said something interesting just in terms of COVID and society. There's this distrust and mistrust of institutions, be it the CDC, Congress, the FBI, law enforcement, all these things, this undermining of public trust. How much, if anything, did that play a role with what we're seeing now? I think it played quite a bit of a role, and it's obviously bigger and has been going on for a longer period of time than just the pandemic. But as with all things, the pandemic distilled it. And so just think about New York City. In New York City, uh, kind of the model of safety that we've relied upon, as has most of the nation, is we go first to police. Um, And that led in the early 90s uh, certainly to a reduction in crime, but it also led to a very high price. We had 22,000 people in our jails today. We have Um, 5,000. And and in particularly poor neighborhoods where, for example, stop and frisk, there are almost 700,000 stops a year, uh, it further eroded trust in the police. And one of the best bellwethers of that trust is the rate at which cops are able to solve crimes, particularly shootings, which more than anything else are based on witnesses coming forward. Um, In the best of times, New York City has solved about half of its shootings. During the pandemic, in some neighborhoods, particularly these very poor neighborhoods, uh, largely home to black and uh, brown New Yorkers, that clearance rate, that solve rate, sank to 20%. So that's sort of some indication of New Yorkers starting to step back at the same time that we saw arrests dropping as well. So uh, law enforcement stepping back as well. And it sort of leads to this uh, vicious cycle. One of the biggest concerns is guns. There are more than 400 million of them across the country and sales have been skyrocketing. The government is not going to just start collecting them. So in places like New York, this is a critical problem. It's a little bit like measuring out the ocean in teaspoons, um, exactly for the reason that you say. And I think many people, me included, are are concerned that this new Supreme Court case that's about to come down uh, may make things worse, meaning it will permit people who get um, licenses in other states to bring their guns here 
so that it will be honored nationwide, which will increase the number of guns on the street. Um, and so there are a bunch of things that, that can be done. Uh, I do think it's important, and I think both the mayor and the governor are committed to this, to try and figure out where the source stores are. It's not just the source states, but are there particular stores uh, where we can work with other states to reduce the number of guns coming out. Um, But I think at the end of the day, it is a very hard problem. It's not like drug trafficking where you have major uh, uh, wholesale quantities of this coming in. It's a few guns at a time, uh, and so very hard to crack down on that. I think what we can do is reduce carrying in our city. We've been very good at doing that. I think there are many, many different uh, strategies that we can use beyond arrest and incarceration uh, in order to discourage people from carrying or using guns, Uh, things that have been proven over and over again to have an effect. So. You know, examples of those are things that New York is already investing in. Um, Civilians called violence interrupters who know their neighborhoods well and know when disputes are starting to escalate have shown shown to have very good effects on um, on de-escalating those those disputes before they uh, they they explode into violence. And there are other things that we can do as well. There are a whole set of things that there are random controlled trials about, uh, meaning the very highest level of evidence that can be used, showing that work programs of certain kinds, what's called cognitive behavioral therapy, meaning working with people to figure out how they make decisions to make them more slowly uh, to uh, think before a gun is being pulled, have been shown to have very dramatic effects in reducing gun violence. And then there's just dealing with the physical infrastructure of the city. Again, random control trials, the best evidence that there is available in New York City shows that when New York City housing development developments were lighted, dark places were made light, violent crime went down 36%. That wasn't something in the future. That was something that happened as soon as the lights were turned on. You talk about cognitive behavioral therapy, which sounds like a great idea, but two things. One is, is that some kind of academic, you know, wish list? This is going to be great. How How do we get services to people? And I think the bottom line is, do we have the money and the political wherewithal to try to do something like that, and is it practical? So it's a great question, and I think in some ways part of it is a language and messaging thing, meaning we're very used to thinking, oh, crime, send in the cops, they go to, people go to jail, and the crime problem is dealt with, and it sounds very concrete, but people come out of jail, not everybody goes to jail, by the way, it's not clear that that actually is the single best deterrent and it has a high cost. But we do know that there are other things, again, through the best evidence that science has and that have been tried and true in various cities, including ours, um, that reduce crime. Those are things like summer youth employment that that summer reduce violent crime. 
uh, arrests that summer reduced mortality, like the lighting issues that I mentioned, also immediately reduced things. And cognitive behavioral therapy does sound like a whole mush of gush, but actually it has been proven over and over again to be the way in which you change behavior. And when you think about it, what is reducing crime about? It's about changing behavior. In 1990, New Yorkers regularly murdered one another at a rate of 2,000 people a year. Even this year, when murders are up, it's at about 450. So something happened between 1990 and today, or from 1990 and our lowest point just a few years ago when we were under 300 murders. Behavior changed, and there's a reason why behavior changes. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can Put the spring back into your step and into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Crime strategy has been getting a lot of attention lately. Some wonder if the city needs to go back to strict enforcement of quality of life offenses. There's a tricky balance. You want to restore order to the streets, but you don't want to create this tension where black and brown people feel they're being unfairly targeted. This is often referred to as broken windows policing. You know, I think broken windows is a phrase that people fill up with whatever meaning they want it to fill up. The original broken windows was actually about physical disorder. Uh, And there's a lot to be said for uh, well-kept and stewarded places and how it makes people both feel and how it makes them behave. I think we have ended up using law enforcement to respond to every kind of behavior. And there are a lot of ways to change behavior beyond handcuffs and arrests. You think about something like 
uh, public intoxication. The way in which the city of New York deals with that is for many years they handed out hundreds of thousands of criminal summonses. Um, and every year they handed out the same number, people didn't show up. Uh, it, it, it's unclear that public intoxication changed in any way, if that's what you care about. Then we made those civil summonses. Same thing. It didn't change the behavior. If you really cared about changing public intoxication, the summons is not going to do it. Clearly, we have proven that to ourselves. But there are a million other ways we could do that. We figured out how to change people's behavior when crossing against a red light or any number of other things that make it easier for us to live together, which is what cities are all about. People living together peaceably in very dense environments. You talk about people see what they want to see. Bail reform seems to be an example of that. Your sense of this, is bail reform driving this search in crime in any way? The evidence is really crystal clear on this, that it's not. Uh, but that's not to say that our bail reform law is perfect. It's actually, or our bail law is perfect, it's actually quite screwy um, and, uh, and pretextual. You know, we're the only state in the nation that doesn't permit judges to take into consideration a public safety risk when they're deciding whether to release or how to release somebody. And yet that is front of mind for judges, for New Yorkers, for everyone. And so you have this kind of funhouse mirror situation going on where that's not what we're talking about. And yet when we go to Albany to change bail reform, we change it based on how scary the crime sounds like. And yet we know how scary the crime sounds is actually not related to whether or not that person might uh, commit another offense while they're out on bail. So uh, just to say, the bail law itself is not driving the shootings, uh, but the bail law itself could use some scrutiny and reworking. We got a very different take on this subject from Terry Monahan. Monahan worked his way up through the ranks of the NYPD for almost 40 years. He retired last year as chief of department, the top uniform position in the PD. He's now working as a consultant. He spoke to our Peter Haskell. Well, it's the violence. And listen, this all started back uh, when bail reform first came into effect in 2020, followed by COVID, followed by George Floyd. We had a huge uptick in violence, doubling where we were in 2017, 2018. A lot of different factors going into it. Um, you have to look at the prosecution. Courts were closed for a long time. Are they catching up on some of the cases? Are they not catching up on some of the cases? You take a look at what happened with um, defunding the police. 1,200 officers were taking off the NYPD's headcount. Those are officers that were necessary, that were put in place by the city council to get neighborhood policing going. And it was neighborhood policing that was able to get us down to the numbers we were in 2017, 2018. Without those cops, it's hard to accomplish a lot of that mission. A couple of things. First of all, bail reform. Crime is up across the country. There's not bail reform across the country. And some say that the impact of bail reform really has been 
minimal. So how, how do you square all this? We looked at crime in 17 and 18 and 19 across the country. And yeah, crime was going up then too around the country, but not in New York. In New York, we had the right recipe, the right recipe. Judges were able to send some people into prison without uh, now the restrictions that they have in place. A lot of our laws changed over the course of time, which allowed more people out, which allowed quality of life in the city to deteriorate. It's no longer a criminal offense, drinking in public, urinating in public. Those are tools that the NYPD had in its toolbox that were taking away from them. Marijuana, now legal to smoke as you walk down the streets. That is another tool taken away from the NYPD. Bail reform allowed people, if you get arrested for stealing a car, you get what's called a desk appearance ticket. You're out on the street immediately. We've seen a huge uptick in cars stolen in this city, and we're seeing a huge uptick in these stolen cars being utilized in shootings around the city. One thing leads to another, leads to another. You had the NYPD taken out of working on homeless issues. We had a tremendous homeless outreach team. They weren't arresting the homeless. They were going out daily trying to get them into services. They were accountable for what they did. They were working with nurses. Those were great programs that got people off the street and helped keep the uh, quality of life in the city good, which then, in turn, helps keep crime down in the city. So explain that if you could. These quality of life crimes, these broken windows type of policing that you're talking about, these folks are not being locked up for a significant period of time, periods of time. So how does that impact downstream? You used to be able to approach somebody to quell or take care of whatever that quality of life issue was. You didn't have to arrest them, but you were able to approach them. And if that person was non-compliant, if they didn't stop drinking in the street, if they didn't put away a, a marijuana cigarette that they were smoking or urinating in the streets, then they could be arrested. No one went to Rikers for these quality of life offenses, <clears throat> but it gave you a tool to get that person off the street and resolve that issue at that particular moment if that person wouldn't resolve it on his own when asked. So would that person necessarily not do that again, or would just two days later they're doing the same thing? There became a fear that if they got caught doing it again, they'd have to spend a night in a police prison. That fear is gone. They no longer fear that happening. They would know that the police would approach them if they were drinking a beer and they wouldn't have that gun on them because they knew that the cops were going to do something. Now that fear isn't there and we're seeing more and more individuals walking around with a loaded gun on their side. Those are the things that just one builds upon the other and builds upon the other. And you need to nip it in the butt before it gets out of control. The PD is looking to crack down on guns with newly formed neighborhood safety teams. They're filling the role of the controversial and disbanded anti-crime unit. It's a smart strategy right now. You have cops whose main focus is to get guns off the street. And that's what they're doing. Uh, I saw the numbers recently from the NYPD. They're taking more guns off the streets now than they have. Over the last couple of years, they were increasing. When we first got rid of anti-crime, gun arrests went down dramatically. We put neighborhood safety teams in place a few months later, and we saw the gun arrests continue to start rising back up. 
And now with Mayor Adams and his new gun safety teams, there are even more arrests being made for guns. But just because we arrest them, there needs to be a consequence. There is nothing worse for a neighborhood to see an individual get caught on the corner with a gun, taking away and see that same individual standing on that corner the next day. That is where the accountability is. If we want to get back to where we were in 2017, 2018, that's where we have to start. One of the big concerns is cops overstepping the bounds. That was a problem with anti-crime. How do we strike that balance to make sure you're not harassing people, you're not violating their civil rights, but you're protecting the community? Well, the best thing that we ever did was put body cameras on all our cops. Because now there is checks and balances. Now we can see what actually occurs. Now a district attorney can see what happens. Anyone in the Civilian Complaint Review Board can review those cameras and see. And a lot of the times, the vast majority of times, you're going to see the cops were acting properly. And in those rare occasions that they were not acting properly, well, then they face their consequences too. How much is too much? I mean, how many cops do you need? Do you need need 1,000 cops, 5,000 cops? What's too much and what's just right? What you need to do, and this is where we had accomplished back in 17 and 18, is make sure there's enough radio cars out on the streets. If someone's dialing 911, they shouldn't have to wait 15, 20 minutes for a car to get there. You have to take a look at those numbers, analyze it, make sure we're getting people out on the street, along with our specialty units, because you can't rob from Peter to give to Paul. You have to make sure you're still doing your investigations. You have to make sure you have your units focused on getting guns off the streets. But you also have to make sure that when you look around the street corner, you're going to see that blue and white coming around the corner because that is going to prevent a lot of violence. And in terms of these neighborhood safety teams, we've heard about targeting certain neighborhoods, but the problems persist. How much manpower do they need? Each command is different. You have to take a look at the productivity out of it. Are they getting results? Are they making the arrests in those neighborhoods? Are they making the right arrests? Because if you're focused on guns, well, that's what I want to see you do. I want to see you bring a gun in. I don't want to see you sitting in the station house writing up a minor violation. If you're focused on guns, stay out there. Be out on the street. But you never know when you're going to roll right into that next shootout. You never know what you're going to prevent just by your mere presence out there. So when you t- we did look at this back years ago. And you have to analyze your radio runs. You have to analyze your arrests and really come up with that number to make sure you're putting out enough cops on the street and you can keep those same cops in those same neighborhoods every single day. Because it doesn't help if a cop is assigned to that sector, but they're flying them to Yankee Stadium or you're flying them to Shea Stadium or flying them to another protest down in Manhattan. We need to have enough cops where we can keep those cops in their neighborhoods so they get to know their communities. You talk about analyzing data. Just describe the kind of data the police department collects and how it analyzes all this information. So you have to take the number of radio runs, the response time in a command, how long it's taking guys to get out there, handle a job, how much free time, and this is key, because you take a look on the radio, how much free time does that sector car have? Our focus was to make sure that when we looked at the end of the day, 33% of their day was able to be out there servicing the community, talking to people, getting to know the community. 
getting to go out and walk into a local bodega to say hello. If you don't have that free time, if you're running from one job to the next job to the next job, then there's not enough cars out there. You need to have time to interact with the community and not run from one crisis to another because then you're never going to get to really get to know the good people within that community. Monahan has seen social problems bubbling up to the surface and creating the conditions we're facing now. We talked about the fact that crime is up across the country. What's causing this? There was a lot of um, pushback after George Floyd. Uh, COVID, you had police around the country doing everything that's against what community policing, neighborhood policing is about because of the pandemic, separating people, telling them you can't go to church, telling them you can't gather together, not gathering, not being able to sit down at a meeting with your community members and have conversations. We were becoming separate. And the people got very angry at police. And then George Floyd was just that spark of anger that pushed it over the top. And then throughout the country, major reforms were pushed in policing without thinking of the consequences. A lot of the reforms that were put in place were put in place quickly, not thought out properly. Things that had been considered for years and always pushed off to the back burner. Well, every reform movement was able to get it pushed out right away, whether it was right, whether it was helpful, or whether it was necessary. It's time now to take a sit back, look at a lot of these reforms that were put in place, find the right balance. Police departments around the country are always ready to be reformed. We want to make sure it's the reform that's done that doesn't put public safety at risk. One of the things we see in the city is we see these kind of brazen daytime attacks, assaults, robberies, unprovoked attacks, and it just seems like there's this sense of disorder. I don't know if that's overstating it, but do you see it that way, and what's at play with things like that? Well, there are attacks, and there have always been attacks in this city. Once it makes the front page every day, people believe it is constant. It is happening all over the place. You know, this is a city of 8.5 million people, there are going to be incidents that occur each and every day. You're never going to have a complete utopian society with no crime. But what we do see, and what I've seen a lot of, and I'm sure people have noticed, is a lot more individuals with uh, potential mental illness walking on the streets. And this was part of what the Homeless Outreach Unit did. They were dealing with these individuals every day, trying to get them into services, working with nurses. That's what we need to do. And I believe... Uh, Mayor Adams has started doing that again in the subway system. And that is a smart, smart move. Because as much as we want other city agencies to do their jobs, it's dangerous. And they're not comfortable without having that police officer at their side doing it together. So that cooperative effort between agencies has to occur. And we have to see it more and more. Not just in the subways, but up top. As we come into summertime, they're leaving the subway systems and they're going to be out on the street corners. Monahan thinks the country's polarization and loss of trust in governmental and civic institutions are contributing factors. Despite all of this, he believes the city is on the right track. The mayor is saying all the right things. Uh, I give him credit for standing up and supporting the police when the police are doing the right things, for noticing how hard they're working, uh, the results that they are bringing in. I would like to have seen in his budget proposal bringing the headcount for the NYPD back to where it was pre-COVID, 
those 1,200 police officers will make a difference. It was a recipe of what got us to where we were. I look at the leadership of the police department, the new police commissioner, and I talk to a lot of the rank and file of the police department uh, from the upper levels on down, and they love her. They really feel uh, that she knows what she's doing. And the one thing they've said to me, they have her back. They're willing to go through a wall for her to make her succeed. I'd like to see her out in public just a little bit more because if the police department feels that strongly about her, I think the public needs to feel that strongly too. You talk about the summer, which is typically more problematic than winter, spring, fall. What do you expect this summer? What do you think? You're going to hear lots of stories of people shot. There's going to be an innocent person here, a child shot there. It's going to happen because this is a big city and there still are a lot of guns out here and things are not where they were at one point. If the weather's hot, which it's supposed to be, uh, people are going to be out on the streets. But so will the NYPD. And I know they're putting extra manpower out there each and every day. They know the locations where these incidents are going to happen. You're also going to read stories left and right of cops doing tremendous things. Outright courage and making tremendous arrests. It'll be a challenge. I know the NYPD is focused on it. And I'm sure they are going to do the best they can. Uh, but it will be a challenge this summer. All right, Terry, you've been very patient. Thanks so much for your time. Is there anything else you want to add, or did we cover it? I think we've covered a lot. Listen, you can always depend the NYPD is going to put its best foot forward, and they are going to do what needs to be done to keep this city safe. We'll give the last word to Liz Glazer. Just give us the, the glimpse into the crystal ball. We see where we've come from. We see where we're at now. Are we going in the right direction what do you see? Talk about summer. What do you see in the coming months? I, I do think that we need to very quickly concentrate, focus, strategize. We need to identify the neighborhoods in which violence is at its highest levels. We need to pull together every resource that there is, not just the police resources, but the other things that I've mentioned, all the other civic services that have an impact now, but also for the future. But time is short. It's already May, and we do see, you know, the indicators, the crime indicators going uh, in not such a great direction. Liz, you've been very patient. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, it's been an honor. Thank you. We'll be watching to see if the city can effectively manage this crime spike. That's it for this week's 880 In-Depth podcast. The executive producers are Tim Scheld and Peter Haskell. Our thanks to Liz Glazer and Terry Monahan. 880 In-Depth gives us a chance to focus on an important issue in our community. You can find us at WCBS880.com, the Odyssey app, or wherever you get your audio. And please subscribe. I'm Michael Wallace. Thanks for listening. And be kind.
We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, oh, oh. O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. <laughs> 